Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. J. E. Serlo's Dictionary of Symbols Dance Dance is the corporeal image of a given process, or of becoming, or of the passage of time. In Hindu doctrine, the dance of Shiva, in his role as Nataraja, symbolizes the union of space and time within evolution. There is a universal belief that insofar as it is a rhythmic art form, it is a symbol of creation. This is why dance is one of the most ancient forms of magic. Every dance is a pantomime of metamorphosis. Its function is, in consequence, cosmogonic. The dance is the incarnation of eternal energy. Welcome back to another episode of the show. That was a passage, as I mentioned, by Juan Eduardo Serlo, who was a Spanish poet, uh, mythologist, and musician. And my grandmother, who has been on the podcast before, uh, my grandma Barbara, she was a Jungian therapist, and she gifted me a bunch of books. Um, I guess it's a year ago now. She and my grandfather built a really beautiful cabin in Gunnison, Colorado that they unfortunately sold a year ago. It was a super meaningful and important place to me growing up and I think really led to me falling in love with Colorado and potentially ending up there long term. 
Um, but it was very high altitude-wise, and my grandmother was struggling to be there without using oxygen, which became a bit of a hassle. And uh, the cabin required quite a bit of upkeep. So after many years of really difficult deliberation, they decided to sell it. And my grandmother saved a few special things that she wanted to give me that she had stored there. And one of them was a small pile of books that she studied with and used when she was training uh, to become a Jungian analyst. If you want to hear more about her life and hear our conversation, um, I had her on the show for episode 109. Anyway, it was really special to receive these books. They have all of her like handwritten notations in them from when she was studying so many decades ago, and it feels so lovely to be able to continue the use of these books and to read passages from books that my grandmother read uh, so many years ago to all of you and to continue the sort of evolution of ideas and thought from generation to generation and spread it outward feels amazing. And I've been using these books in uh, the course that I'm teaching with Whitney Will uh, at the moment called Retrograde with Intention. We're um, talking about Mars retrograde and the archetype of the warrior and what it means to be independent and autonomous and um, what is our relationship to, yeah, to the warrior and to ourselves and to our own bodies. This is a very special episode that I recorded with Van when I was in Greece studying his course, uh, Contact Beyond Contact. I've been sort of talking about this experience in and out on the podcast ever since, and now you get to hear from him, which is really exciting. Uh, we recorded this outside in a cafe, so there is some background noise. Um, hopefully it's not too aggressive and that uh, what we say is is still clear and meaningful. I think it is. Had to do a bit of editing. Anyway, I feel like my experience learning dance in this way, in the way that Van teaches it, has... I feel like I'm at the very beginning and the very onset of something that's going to become a much greater part of my life, which is really exciting and feels, I don't know, uh, it's exciting in how unknown it feels, I guess. Um, as I talk about a lot, I tend to move toward things in my life that I don't necessarily have an agenda for. You know, there's an intention to learn about it and I'm curious about it, but I don't really know what it will become for me or become in my life or evolve into, whether it's in my personal life or my career. So I feel excited because although movement has been a part of my personal life relatively casually for a long time, I never really thought about integrating it into my work at all or even integrating it into my personal life in any more of a sort of refined or specific way. It, it was always just, okay, I'm feeling an anxious, <laughs> let's move now. Or, you know, this music is making me want to move, so I'm going to move. Um, but there wasn't necessarily an intention around it. And now I feel like there's an intention to incorporate movement and dance more prominently in my life and in my work. 
And I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I'm getting some clues um, and I'm really excited about it. So I think something I've been thinking about a lot recently, not just in relation to dance, but also in relation to so many different things is this idea of a container or the tangible expression of something. If you've been listening to me for a long time, you know that I'm sort of obsessed with making ideas and imagination real and you know how can I take my idealist (laughs) tendencies um, and actually create something out of it right what are the outer limits of possibility and how can I you know find some balance and parallel between my beliefs and my dreams and my hopes and my imagination and what exists in front of me and what I can touch and feel and exist within and I've always sort of understood, especially in a more intellectual, mind-oriented way, the importance of containers and the importance of boundaries. And when you give something a space to exist, it can actually exist or be created, rather, um, uh, or evolve. You know, if we think of the womb, like we need the womb in order to birth the baby, right? The baby needs the container in order to be created and... I bought a journal the other day because I feel like, I mean, I've had notebooks and I have my notes app on my phone and I take all these notes and record my thoughts and ideas in like six different places and I never quite know where they are and it feels rather chaotic. And I thought, well, what if I just bought a book, (laughs) like a journal and that it served as a container for my thoughts and ideas and that maybe this would help me to not get so lost or overwhelmed because I think I have a tendency to do that, which I don't blame myself for. I mean, I think, you know, at least for me, the overwhelm, you know, often comes as a result of just being really friggin' interested in so many different things and wanting to learn so many different things. And I can't tell you like how many hobbies I have that I want to get better at and spend more time on. There's just too much. And by way of, you know, distraction or trying to multitask and focus on a million different things at the same time, I'm not really sure how deeply I get into any one thing. So I would like to do that more. And I'm thinking about that in relationship to dance too, especially after reading you that quote that I read you at the beginning of the podcast, really how dance is the physical and tangible space holder for transformation, for healing, for creation. And what's so brilliant about this is I think what Van is teaching is really fundamentally what dance always was and how dance came to be, which was not necessarily performance, not necessarily for fun, not necessarily for celebration, although it can be all of those things too, but actually as a container for growth and a container for meaning and something that can not only symbolize and represent something, but also be a container, a womb, uh, in which metamorphosis can occur. This feels so resonant to me. And I I think 
was sort of always the missing piece for me with dance. I, you know, until I was in college, thought I was going to go into theater and acting. Did a lot of dance in that respect, choreography. But I didn't want a performance, just it wasn't, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love performing. <laughs> um, but it just didn't really feel complete or whole or as meaningful as I as I was hoping it would be. And it wasn't really until I was introduced to Contact Improv last winter that I started to recognize that the, the movements that I was engaging in both personally and in relationship with others were incredibly symbolic of ideas and things that I've talked about and understood intellectually. And what I sort of grew to understand is that the dance itself is not the metaphor for other things or the symbol for other things, but in fact, all the other things that we're doing in life are symbolizing some sort of energetic exchange or transformation, right? So if you strip all the details away from something, you strip the relation, you know, the specific relationship, the words that are spoken, the context in which um, you are engaging with someone else or even yourself. If you take all those details away, the only thing left are, is the energy. That's the basis of everything, right? So you can, you can, let's say you're angry. If you take away the words in the context of the anger, what's left? It's the way that the anger is inhabiting your body. It's how your body contorts or shapes itself or expresses energy beyond the specificity of whatever it is you're angry about. And this, this feels comforting to me, honestly, um, because I think I'm so easily like manically overwhelmed by everything. I feel, you know, I've talked about this before, like I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm feel like I'm picking up on so many different things all at once. And in order to really focus on something and to see something clearly, to feel something clearly, to embody something clearly, it's been really nice to take away all of the distracting details. So it's been really fascinating to me to think about how I can pair a lot of what I've talked about and learned about and taught about especially as far as relationships and psychology and archetypes and how can we sort of take all of those ideas and those, those brilliantly complex and rich concepts and boil them down to just an energetic exchange between you and yourself, between you and the world, between you and nature, between you and a person, between you and the collective. So this is really exciting to me and something that I feel like is allowing a lot of my work to come full circle, both professional work, but also personal work. I keep having these experiences in my life where it feels like the loop of a circle or a cycle is completing and being grounded in the physical and tangible aspect of whatever the thing is. Like, for example, 
when I was in Greece learning Contact Beyond Contact. One of the main reasons I really wanted to get it together, Chris and I had to like extend our trip three months basically while we were abroad in order for me to take this program. But I thought it would be specifically interesting for me to take it in Greece. Uh, Van teaches CBC in tons of different places. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, how you can learn more um, if you're interested. But he was teaching it in Greece and I thought, wow, what a awesome opportunity given that I've never been to Greece and that I'm constantly talking about, learning about, and teaching about Greek mythology. And all of these things are in my head, they're intangible, right? And here I was going to the birthplace of these ideas and seeing the physical representations of all of these stories and all of these gods and goddesses. And that felt so grounding, right? It felt like, I don't know, like in so many ways, my my growth has and progress and my life and learning has created this lovely tree, but its root system is pretty shallow. Not necessarily as grounded as it needs to be, not necessarily strong enough to withhold high winds. And I feel like what's happening in, in my life right now is that those roots are growing and the specific way that they're doing that are through the body, my body, <laughs> through containment, through holding energy, through seeing, not just seeing story, seeing a story or seeing a narrative or understanding a narrative, but actually being able to feel it and touch it and ground into it. And doing this type of dance with other people, which you'll understand more. I actually also included some videos in um, the post. If you go to anyakots.substack.com, this is where I'm uploading and hosting all of my podcasts now. I'm also sending out writing, uh, lots of different cool community things happening there. But in the post itself, I embedded a couple of YouTube videos that can that uh, you can watch if you'd like to understand what contact is beyond, what contact beyond contact is with your eyes and not just your ears. Um, but uh, engaging in this sort of dance has it's so how shall I say it revealing. Um, you know, if you're someone who doesn't know how to set boundaries and say no, that's going to come up in the in dancing. You're you're also not going to be able to say no or set boundaries or ground firmly within yourself and your autonomy and your individuality in the dance if you can't do that in real life. And it was such a pleasure, honestly, to hear other people's feedback about moving with me because, you know, people can say like, oh, you seem so grounded or, you know, you seem... Um, to really know yourself and like, yeah, maybe, but what would happen if we actually moved together? Would you still feel like that? Or would you sense something else in the sort of energetic space of my body that might tell you otherwise? Or maybe not. Maybe the way that I move is, is incredibly aligned with, you know, how you think of me intellectually. And I felt like that was what was happening in, in Greece as well. It, is that I was, I felt very validated in my, in my growth and this process that I've been in over the past six or so years after getting divorced. 
But like, oh, this stuff, it's not just an idea. I'm not just deciding something. That a lot of this change is being grounded in my body. And I can feel that and other people can feel that. And that is brilliant. (laughs) And I think it's really interesting now and looking to the future for me to think about archetypes and, you know, how can we, I'm so interested in identifying with these ancient stories and how can we learn more about ourselves through the characteristics and the themes that emerge within these stories. But maybe there's an even deeper level. There is a deeper level, which is that how do we embody the stories? How do we become the stories, not just in our minds, but also in our bodies? So that's something I'm thinking about a lot. I'm going to be teaching uh, CBC classes this winter in Crestone. Chris and I have decided to go back to Crestone uh, for the winter, rent a house that we've rented before. We still haven't built anything on our land, but um, hopefully that's coming soon. Uh, But we want to spend more time there and rest and really honestly use Crestone as a container to as a container and the and a womb for a multitude of different things that we've not necessarily been able to focus on by traveling so much. And I actually really wanted to continue training with Van, uh, learn more, um, do levels three and four of the CBC facilitators training course in Mexico in November and just decided I'm too stretched thin And that if I try to do too much all at once that, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I'm not going to end up doing much of anything because I'm just going to sort of have half of my foot in a a multitude of different things. So hopefully we'll continue training with Van in the future. And in the meantime, I'm looking forward to teaching classes in Crestone. Um, if there, if this is something you're interested in, if you're anywhere near Crestone, let me know. I was also thinking of, of teaching some classes in Santa Fe, actually, um, or the surrounding areas. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited, but I'm looking forward to exploring more of this with all of you and sort of seeing how I can integrate some of these wonderful tools that I learned from Van and you know, expand upon them and add to them, especially as it relates, I think, to archetypes and to narrative. I think that would be really interesting. I played around with this a little bit at our Sex at Dawn retreat in Montana, which was really wonderful. Um, It felt so good to actually teach my first CBC class and um, work with people uh, through embodiment. And we did a little bit of like psychodrama and I made up some tools that I'd never done before and it was scary and intimidating but really exciting and awesome so more of that to come and yeah I'm I'm really grateful that I found CBC I'm I'm thankful that Van is teaching this practice and that others are taking it on and spreading it Because again, I really think that the way Van is approaching dance is what dance has always symbolized and was always meant to be. Another really fascinating experience that I had while I was in Greece, I went on a mythology walking tour one of the days in our our breaks between sessions and I 
saw there was the temple of Asclepius and Asclepius is the healer associated with pharmacies. It's really about like physical healing, medication. Pharma actually, I guess, is the Greek word. I could be wrong about this, but I think for like snake venom um, because they actually gave snake venom as medicine um, and this sort of evolved into the word pharmacy in English and this idea of a place the place that you go to get medicine for healing in modern times. Um, but the temple of Asclepius was built right next to the dance stage, the theater. And the woman who was giving the tour, I did not know this in all of my years of studying, <laughs> studying astrology and learning about um, these gods and goddesses, but the temples dedicated to Asclepius were always built next to theaters. They were always built next to places where people danced. And a lot of the performance in the theater that was happening um, in ancient Greece was dance. And these words chorus and orchestra were actually more associated with dance than um, singing or music as they are today. But the point of this, the point of why these centers, these temples for healing were built next to the theater was because it was believed that healing required the physical, tangible, embodied component of dance in order to be completed. Healing was not just medicine. Um, it was far more holistic and specifically related to dance, which makes so much sense, right? It makes so much sense in regard to the passage that I read at the beginning of this podcast, which is that the dance itself is a container for transformation and for metamorphosis. And if we're looking to heal, if we're looking to grow, there needs to be some sort of not just intellectual and mind-based transformation, but also a physical transformation to work through these ideas to have them land and ground in our bodies. Brilliant. It seems so simple and so clear, and yet I feel like we've gotten very far away from this in modern life. So, without much further ado, I want to bring you my conversation with Van. Um, if you are interested in learning more about Contact Beyond Contact, uh, the website that you can go to is education.unityspace.org. And there are a couple different level one and level two trainings for CBC coming up. I believe one is in Costa Rica and the other is in San Marcos um, in Guatemala and Lake Atilan. Uh, so if you're interested in that, I very much recommend it. Um, let Van know when you send an email uh, that you heard about it from me. Um, I believe I get a little bit of a kickback for anybody in this world that signs up. Um, so if you just use the code CBC underscore Anya, um, that works. And yeah, I said in the podcast and I, I'll repeat it again now, but after spending these weeks in Athens dancing with people, I feel sort of like ravenously focused on teaching as many people this form of movement as I can because it feels very difficult not to engage with people in this way now after doing that, even just for a short period of time. 
um, it feels so natural to be able to just go up to someone and start dancing with them in a way that feels oddly way more comfortable than talking. Like, I feel like I'm a very shy, uh, sort of semi-socially awkward person sometimes um, in individual <laughs> and group interactions. Uh, but for some reason, I, I don't feel that level of hesitation through dance. And I, I'm not quite sure why that is. I, ha I, I should spend more time thinking about it, but maybe it just has something to do with the fact that it's so pure and maybe I feel like there's less of a chance of being misunderstood or judged because whatever is being expressed is coming from such a, you know, real, true place. Basically, I just want to dance with everyone I know and all my friends and all of you. So please sign up to learn CBC, whether you um, basically the CBC facilitators training course is to learn CBC, but also to become certified in order to teach classes. You can, of course, just go to CBC classes. Um, if, I think Van is sort of working on putting together um, a space where it's like easier to see where everyone around the world is teaching classes. But if this something this is something you're interested in, send me a note and I'll let you know if there is a facilitator near you. Um, so of course you don't have to go train um, in how to teach this practice if you want to experience it. You can just take a class, um, and so that's what I'm going to be doing over the winter in Colorado. Maybe in Santa Fe, maybe also in Denver, if I can work it out. Um, I'd love to work with other people that I know who are trained in practices that complement CBC, um, whether that's sound healing or meditation or breath work or any other form of dance. So I would say the best place to keep up to date on basically everything that's going on is my Substack. Again, that's Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot Substack dot com. Enter your email in. It's totally free. You'll get sent an email every time I post a podcast. You'll get sent an email every time I put up a new piece of writing uh, when I announce the launch, the relaunch of our book club um, and any other classes that I'm that I'm teaching, courses that I'm teaching, etc. One other quick housekeeping thing to mention is that Chris and I had to unfortunately cancel a lot of the meetups that we planned to do over the last month, which is a huge bummer because we love meeting all of you and spending time with all of you during these summer trips. Uh, Chris got a particularly bad bout of COVID, which I think he was on his way <laughs> to healing. And then we had to do our retreat um, and even just the energy spent for him like talking and engaging I think just sort of kicked him right back into uh severely sick land so he's only really now sort of starting to feel better and um it's possible we might do a meetup or two in New Mexico Colorado Utah Arizona area but I'm not entirely sure um but I will keep you updated on that uh Instagram is probably the best place to stay up to date on all of that because it tends to happen last minute at anya.cots on Instagram. Um, yeah, and hopefully we can do more meetups in the future. Maybe we can do some over the winter while we're in Crestone and very much looking forward to see what will be birthed through this period of upcoming rest and it's difficult. It's difficult to say no to things. It's difficult for me not to want to pursue everything. 
Um, but I'm committing myself to the container, to the container that rest and focus provides. I have a book project that I'd really like to finish and um, some ideas for courses that I'd like to offer in the coming year. And I don't know, we'll see what happens with my CBC practice and with dance and how that becomes integrated in the future. So thank you all for being here. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Van. I think you will. I think it's very aligned with the podcast and the values that I've been sharing on here for the past four years. This podcast is actually really quite close to its four-year anniversary, which is pretty wild. I don't know the exact date, but I know that I released the podcast during Scorpio season of 2018. Wild time flies. I am going to play you in to today's episode with an acoustic version of a song called Rest by Leif Volubeck. I've played some of his music on the podcast before. I really love it. I was actually, I've always wanted to play this song because I relate to it so much, which is probably um, telling as to my state (laughs) recently, which is needing and wanting rest desperately and the sort of alienation and lack of groundedness that sometimes I feel when traveling for a long period of time, especially when I don't really have a home to go back to. Um, So the lyrics of this song feel quite resonant for me and um, I hadn't heard this version before. The other version of it's like eight minutes and I wasn't going to play an eight minute song on the podcast. So I found this version and it's awesome. And it uh, also really motivated me to want to move my body. So I recommend if you are somewhere where you can move, even if it's just your head, um, feel how this song resonates for you and how does it feel in your body and what is it asking your body to do. So enjoy the song and Enjoy my conversation with Van, and I'll catch you all on the other side. Things I've been working, traveling. I eat out and rest. Men wear cologne Recognized as a stranger Every place that I went Sometimes I just Sometimes I just Close my eyes And begin my decision I swim in the ocean When the water is high And I'll find your bracelet I just have to try And the sky is so open And the wind's heading south Sometimes I just, sometimes I just close my eyes 
yeah, the space it, of it all. It, it does give uh, the present moment feeling yeah, exactly. uh, through the recording. Yeah. So I've been in Athens for two weeks studying bands program. It's a course. course. Yeah. Uh, the facilitator's training course for Contact Beyond Contact. And it's been like life changing, actually. I'm glad to hear. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to have you on. I, I feel like so much of what you teach in the class and what you stand for and what you value is very similar to the stuff that I talk about and value. And um, I think it's been very interesting to participate in this for me because it's given my ideas some physical groundedness mm. and an embodied validation in a way so that's been really great i'm glad to hear and i have been seeing <laughs> how beautifully you have grown and developed throughout these two weeks of practice Thank with you. all the other participants yeah. yeah truly so let's talk about you <laughs> <laughs> is this all about let's yeah this about is about now? you it's okay about you. <laughs> um you get to talk about yourself for 45 minutes <laughs> okay, okay um when did you start dancing um, one, uh, the first first time I started dancing was 2002. I was 22 years old at the time, and I started by chance actually, uh, by a sort of an accident, because I was living at a house with a friend of mine uh, in Athens. I had just moved out from the house of my parents, mm -hmm. and where I was living, this friend of mine, he brought a leaflet about uh, acting lessons in one of the studios here in Athens, in the center of Athens. At the time I was studying computer engineering and I was going in my free time, I was taking uh, martial arts classes. So then uh, I saw this leaflet and uh, I was like, why not to try? You know, like uh, I felt it will offer me to express some aspects in me that I would I never had the opportunity to do so. So I did. Uh, I started with uh, acting classes with Stanislavski method and Grotowski yeah, methods, yeah. you know, and pantomime and well. all sorts of different uh, methods. And it was quite playful and beautiful without wanting or aiming to become an actor, to be honest. Yeah. But it was uh, the starting point. And at that studio, like a center. They had um, Latin dance classes, and I went there, and I started liking it, and I liking the dance, and I think I liked the teacher more than the dance. Was <laughs> <laughs> so for for some peculiar reason, karmically, you know, energetically, I was drawn to uh, this teacher, female teacher. And I was magnetized about her way of moving, the way that she was dancing, the way that she was expressing herself. Somehow I felt quite attracted. And then I asked her where else she's teaching and I wanted to take more classes, somehow to spend more time with her, yeah. directly, indirectly. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so then she took me to some other studios and other studios there were more styles of dances, mm. um, like jazz and flamenco, you know, um, contemporary and ballet, 
you name it, yeah. you know. And then I went from flamenco and jazz into contemporary and ballet even. <laughs> and mainly with an encouragement of her that she says like, oh, I'm taking this class, come as well. Mm. And I was blindly following. <laughs> I learned how to follow <laughs> that time quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about leading and following yeah. later, probably. <laughs> and uh, then other teachers who um, I was at their classes, they were promoting me and they were supporting me to go deeper into dance because I had um, uh, a great development in a very short period of time. I wouldn't say talent, you know, I, wor I was working hard. So in a very short period of time I was developing was that I mean I feel like in dance like most people start so early was that intimidating for you did you feel like coming into it so new at that age was that challenging like both physically but also like coming from computer engineering <laughs> like True, that was yeah. a big transition well, what you. really helped me was that I I was always into sports mm. and martial arts. So yeah, I was very right. physical and I was really enjoying physicality. Yeah. I was not smoking, not drinking, not taking any substances. I was super healthy. So I was really promoting physicality and a healthy lifestyle. So when I was 22 and dance came into my life, I had a good coordination, let's put it like that. Awareness uh, in the body and coordination to be able to pick up new material. Right. And having said that, you know, there were uh, dance styles that I was very good at and dance styles that I was literally crap, you know, like I had to work very hard to understand Which ones? Which ones <laughs> like jazz and flamenco, yeah. the coordination is like crazy, you know, yeah. and, and ballet as well. Yeah. Yeah. But the coordination that comes from the proprioceptive system as well, that um, it grows the awareness from within the body to how the body expresses itself in the space and time. It was growing and because I was uh, already used from martial arts and uh, sports so I had this receptivity and ex expressivity mm. as a time frame that could happen faster than other people perhaps. Right, that makes sense. What uh, martial arts did you do? I did different martial arts. Um, I did Wing Chun um, and Tai Chi Chuan, Toshindo, Harando, Hapkido, Taekwondo. Yeah, I, when I was first talking to my partner about um, some of the practices that you teach, he was saying how he used to do Aikido for a while, and he was saying that they're really similar. And then I read that the yeah. founder of Contact Improv was... Yeah, know. actually, Steve Paxson. He was practicing and um, was very deep into Aikido practice, yeah. and he could feel this flow in the body and the connection between body to body. Yeah. So the many dance styles have been inspired by uh, martial arts, to be honest. Yeah, cool. So aside from just following your teacher, <laughs> did you feel like, was there a point that you like really decided this is something you wanted to pursue? And did you know sort of how, yeah. what that looked There was like? a tipping point and that point was uh, I started feeling my body and the exercise or the way I was practicing uh, that was completely different and so much more profound than any other activity I had been doing at the time, like sports and martial arts. So the way that I was using the musculature 
in the body was completely different and very attractive to me. I was feeling muscles and coordinations and ways of using the body in space and time that I never used before. And it's fascinated me quite a bit. And also having the support and promotion from all the teachers, and specifically one uh, teacher here in Athens, in Greece, uh, she mentioned go and audition to uh, dance universities in UK, in London, where I went after. And if they don't take you, do whatever you want. If one of them takes you, then uh, make everything you can to go. And this is what I did. So one of the universities picked me up and I started my dance education. And did you think at this time that you wanted to perform? Was that sort of, you know? Mm. Well, yes and no, you know, because I was 22. <clears throat> many dancers started even earlier than me. Many dancers were so much more talented than me. Uh, many dancers, they have better physique, better coordination, you name it. Um, I don't know, you know, I didn't know at the time. I felt I want to express myself. You know, it was so many things, emotions, you know, like um, aspects in me that needed to be expressed. And at that time, what was fascinating in the dance was the body motion in space and time and the way I was using my musculature. And later on, through the studies, came emotions, feelings, and energy, you know, connection with other people, and you name it. Yeah. And you also studied a lot of different things, I guess I'm imagining after this transition into dance. Like in, in terms of studies. healing modalities, yeah, yeah. perhaps, yeah. Um, I would say I... The first time, the very first time that I went into healing modality was Reiki, mm. it was 2006. And that was a, a profound shift mm. in my life. I, I went there because of some situations that I wanted to deal with, um, with my family, personally, and also um, a heartbreaking separation that I had at that time. And I felt learning or going into healing modalities, not only to receive healing, but to go into healing modality to learn the healing modality, uh, would offer me a greater transformation. And this is what I did. Instead of going to find a practitioner to give me healing uh, in Reiki or any other healing, I went to a college in London and I learned healing, uh, Reiki. And do you feel like, I know you mentioned something at the beginning of class that I related to a lot, which is that like you would study with different teachers and they wanted you to stay and really like perfect or, or become yeah. quite skilled at one thing, but that didn't resonate with me. Yeah. yeah. This came uh, a little bit later. I mean, in, in dance is a bit similar as well, you know, like I did so many different dance styles and then I ended up in uh, contemporary, for example, which is much more aligned into my body and my physique. Then so many dance styles that they're fixed in terms of steps and what to do and how to compose the dance, whereas I'm more inclined in improvisation, for example. And then later on, on yoga, qigong, that are trained in meditation practices from Taoists, from Buddhism, from Hinduism, you name it. And then every teacher was mentioning, stay here longer, you will find peace and harmony and personal development, enlightenment, if that is something we're gonna find. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. And then another teacher 
uh, in a different discipline where uh, he they were measuring the same and another teacher the same. It's like why every teacher tells me the same, although they're in a different discipline. Mm. So I started figuring out, is it necessary to stay in one discipline for 10, 20, 30, maybe more years to try to figure out whether I'm going to find this peace, harmony, calmness, and personal growth and enlightenment. And I couldn't feel um, settled in me that I will be in only one discipline in the 21st century. I will be doing only one discipline for the rest of 40 years. Yeah. You know why? And this was not sitting well with me. And then I started uh, trying different things. <clears throat> My character has been like that since I was very young. So. Um, this way of taking the best possible aspect of every discipline that I will try and then finding common grounds, finding ways of putting them together. And then integration and embodiment started emerging in my life. And I figured out that it doesn't matter if I will become a master in one discipline, a master or the best possible um, manifestor or teacher or person who integrates all of these disciplines together. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there was like something about your character that you can reflect on or like the way that you were raised because I also feel like this is my personality. Like people are always like very surprised at how many different things I do. Mm. <laughs> and I've always just sort of been drawn to different things and then figure out later how they become hmm. integrated in a way. But I don't know, I don't know about Greek culture, but I feel like American culture sometimes makes you feel guilty about not really perfecting one thing mm -hmm. or becoming a master of one thing. Mm -hmm. Did that, was that difficult? Like, was that a struggle for you at all? Or did you always sort of no, know why? I wouldn't say it was a struggle. Um, I feel character-wise, what I have in me is to go into one discipline and want to perfect it and as soon as it becomes um, redundant kind of thing, I yeah. don't know if that, what, yeah. it's not um, repetitive right. somehow, or yeah. becomes a little bit... Like stagnant, like it doesn't... Exactly, you know? Then I feel I'm losing interest. Right. And then I want to integrate something, to add something into it, mm -hmm. to add value. Yeah. And having said that, you know, like I wanted to study other things, not only dance. Yeah. You know, like I want to study photography as well. Like my dream was to study photography sooner or later. Or I was doing computer engineering and later I wanted to study robotics, for example. You know, like and go into a completely different direction mm -hmm. in my life. However, dance is the medium of practice that I felt like I can integrate the most other disciplines together. Mm -hmm. So I felt there was a, the spine of what I was constructing let's say, without me knowing that I was constructing something, mm -hmm. but I found the spine, and that is dance. And then through dance, I start bringing all other disciplines and methodologies in healing, spirituality, meditation, art, you name it, to create what I have created so far. Yeah. The, I mean, I think the other thing that you do that is, I don't know, it's interesting, because to me it feels supernatural, like when I started to get interested in dance and I guess specifically contact improv for me it felt like I couldn't help but think about 
the psychosocial benefits of everything. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily feel like that's how a lot of dance is oriented, yeah. <laughs> most of it. Um, when did you sort of start, you know, to notice that that was something not just incorporating the healing modalities, but also like to process yeah. and to learn about ourselves? The, the main uh, time that it started me to create this question mark was out of the um, incapability or the difficulty of the dance modalities to address uh, psychosocial um, interconnections that we're having. Yeah? Although it is engraved in it as a dance practice, a social practice, if you see also folklore or traditional dances, you know, or right. tribal dances, you know, it's all social dances. This is where dance comes from. But nowadays, the contemporary dance and the contemporary dance industry and context improvisation as well, that is very popular, is not addressing these aspects. So I was feeling a little bit empty, to be honest. You know, I was feeling empty about why am I doing what I'm doing if what I'm doing it doesn't really um, assist or support my personal development and how I function as a human being in society. Yeah. So then, uh, through all the professional dance modalities that I was trained in, uh, I started integrating healing modalities and meditation spirituality. And the key moment for me to shift to understand how everything is applicable in everyday life was my personal relationships. Like the human relations I was building, not only love relationships, but um, friends and family and colleagues, you know, you name it. And do you feel like this, the physical, the movement and the dance that you were doing was helping you to gain insights about your relationships and or the things that you were experiencing in your relationships, you were seeing how they were embodied in the dance and the movement practices? Because I feel like I don't know, I feel like a lot of people who take contact by con who learn contact uh, beyond contact, for example, like they're learning about themselves by way of the, yeah. the energy and the energetic practice, the dance practice. But I feel like what's also really interesting, at least for me in my life, is because I feel like I've done all of this, like growth and learning, but it's all been very <laughs> mind oriented. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not to say that I haven't been moving my body, but like, it was so fascinating to me to be in this space and to hear people say like, you, I like dancing with you because you feel really grounded or, or you resist and you feel strong. Exactly. And that was, yeah, it, it felt like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like mostly I think about how the dance informs our lives, but it's mm -hmm. also that the, yeah. the, it, you know, does the opposite as well. The other way around. Yeah. Yeah. My, main um, inquiry was how can I bring what I'm experiencing in personal lives and distill it and make it so accessible in a dance modality, in dance practice. And that was coming from my thinking kind of uh, process or study process that Primarily, the body and the mind needs to shift ways of working for 
applying what the world has learned, the body and mind what has learned, yeah. in a relationship. Yeah. So for the body and the mind to shift something, yeah, both need to play a role. Both need to work at the same time. Yeah. So if we're learning something from books or intellectually or uh, having a friends talking or uh, we go to a lecture, whatever, yeah? yeah, the mind is being triggered, but not the body. And everything has been stored in the body through our generations. And if we talk about past lives as well, then it's a, another big uh, storage that we're having uh, in our bodies. Uh, then how could I bring this transformation from a body and mind perspective and then um, at some moment when the body and the mind is ready to bring the heart and then to express what the spirit really wants to say. Did you try to bring these things into like existing spaces first? like? contact improv or otherwise like trying to like uh, not initially create your own thing but try yeah. to yeah yeah like, I was teaching contact improvisation for many years professionally mm. and everywhere I was going I felt a little bit of a um, restriction of what's possible and what is not possible and that's why I was always doing contact improvisation and chicken or contact improvisation and meditation contact improvisation and cosmic healing for example like always something to add into the contact provision because I felt that it doesn't really bring what I was bringing in terms of the relationships, the connection, the philosophy, the psychosocial benefits that we can experience in, uh, in, in the dance practice. Mm -hmm. And then I, actually a friend of mine was inviting me to teach uh, in Sydney and she mentioned, Van, you teach... CI and this is how I got to know you and you're doing so much more than CI. So what if we don't call it a contact improvisation workshop or contact improvisation and something else? Can you find a title to come and teach us here? And I call it Contact Beyond Contacts and this is when it started um, quite a few years back. And it was this uh, after like or before you created Unity Space in general? It was after, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good you mentioning this because there is a bit of an order yeah. of how things came to existence. And right. even before CBC, Contact Beyond Contact, I had another practice. I call it Embodied Unity, mm -hmm. which this came before Unity Space as my organization. Um, if I backtrack a little bit, yeah. when um, I started going much deeper in yoga, qigong, meditation practice, uh, uh, I was in Asia at that time, and all these teachers were telling me, you know, stay here, you're going to find the peace and harmony and enlightenment. Yeah. Then I started putting things together, and then I said, what if I integrate and I make the best amalgamation of all these things um, to be able to transmit it to the public? And this was embodied unity, it came. And embodied unity as a practice has a huge spectrum of modalities and, and healing and dance and, and meditations. And every time I was teaching something different in the workshops, according to the group that I was having. So I couldn't make it, I couldn't put an order in terms of what is first, what is second, what is third, and so on. Yeah? And I kept it as a much more advanced practice that I can access any tools that I want to access from it. Then after that, I was already doing a lot of projects and courses around the world. Um, 
more workshops and uh, projects. And then I wanted to put everything under one umbrella as an organization. I call it unity space, okay. like the space that you unify everything. And after that, it came, what I just mentioned, about the CBC that I was invited to teach somewhere. And then I call it Cornelian Contact, which is a subcategory of embodied unity, in mm -hmm. a sense. Uh, and then I have uh, created some levels, one, two, three, and four, as aligned to body, mind, heart, and spirit, for making it more accessible to the world. You know, I was always against to make levels, to be honest. You know, I was always against of putting an order, even because I'm so much into improvisation and I want people to to improvise. You know, like improvisation for me as a word, which is a play with a word, a word game. Is improve ization. It's the state of improving oneself. So I feel through improvisation we can improve our state of being. And if we keep an order, like we're doing one order back to back, it limits us. Having said that, to do that for a certain period of time, it really prefers a lot as well. You know, it really makes us grow. Yeah, and I do feel like. I appreciate what you've added to CI in a lot of ways, but specifically, like, CI, I feel like, is generally quite non-hierarchical, or at least that's what they would like it to be. <laughs> um, but it's, it's interesting because I do feel like when you are aiming to hold space for somebody's transformation or to hold space for somebody's process, that to not have some sort of container for that is not ideal. Yeah, and that's why I want to pinpoint a little bit that I'm not adding something to the CI. Right. You know, I'm creating something different, something new. And I'm taking elements from CI, which very few elements actually, in terms of the yeah. CI structure and principles, yeah. and to use them in the CBC. And CBC has authentic movement and passing through some other dance modalities. And it's in itself is different. In itself is a different category, perhaps. Uh, however, having said that, um, I feel the lack of the container and the support that CI sessions and CI jams have has propelled me even more to create the CBC. Can you tell a story too about like you wanted to you wanted to become like go to some school to have them fund your research or something to create this program. Can you talk about that mm -hmm. process a little bit? Yeah, I, it was a period of my life that I wanted to do a PhD mm. and I suggested, it was at Melbourne University, I was living in Australia for four years, five years, and um, I proposed to analyze and study the CBC as a structure, contact beyond contact, and all the benefits that this can have in terms of psychosocial and personal benefits, educational benefits, um, development benefits in relationships and so on. And I want to pass it through a coherent study through a PhD and have peers, like people knowledgeable in the fields, to assess me in this way. And um, in the end, 
they accepted me. They received me at the program. However, I couldn't have the scholarship. And it was quite a lot of money at that time. So I couldn't really fund it. And then I decided not to do it. And that was the initiation that propelled me to do the contact beyond contact as facilitators training courses to create teachers and facilitators out of the practice that I was teaching around the world so far. And how long ago was that? 2019. Okay, so 2019, I started the first CBC facilitators training course. So let's talk. I mean, I feel like I want to talk about all of the things. You have so many different programs, <laughs> but I don't know any of them really aside from this one, so we could focus on CBC. Um, can you sort of talk a little bit about, I mean, I think we've, we've spoken a bit about some of the principles of this practice, but to sort of summarize what mm -hmm. it's all about, and maybe we can talk a little bit too about some of the individual yeah. practices that you include. Yeah. <laughs> After the window, <laughs> it's good. It's good practice. Yeah. Um, so, contact beyond contact, as a main focus, has um, what is true connection? Yeah, like how can we connect truthfully with our partners, our families, our colleagues, and so on? And under this umbrella, it has. What is true connection? Okay, true connection has love, yeah, has good communication, yeah, reciprocal communication, listening and holding space for the other, caring, being kind, yeah, like all the values that we are looking for in a relationship. So CBC approaches what is a true connection through all these aspects, somatically and spiritually and emotionally and psychosocially. Uh, and to do that, I bring different disciplines in the dance practice, and that is authentic movement, contact improvisation, passing through. And then in the healing industry, I bring Qigong, yoga, um, cosmic healing, Thai massage, uh, meditations as well. That they're coming a little bit later, levels three and four. And uh, then in each level, I create this integration of the modalities that I teach in each level, and there are chapters. You know, what do I teach in the level one, level two, level three and four. Level one is more body-related and embodied state. Uh, level two is more the mind and clear intention, because without intention, how can we manifest something in life? Even I want to heal, and am I going to intend to heal, or am I going to leave it vague and up to a chance or lack to heal, for example? What's my intention in all these things? And then level three is heart space and connection and trauma release. I work more on the trauma-related uh, aspects. And then level four is untangling karmic bonds. What bonds have we created in our lives and most predominantly with long-lasting relationships and family as well. And how we can untangle these bonds if they need to be untangled as well. You know? And there I bring a lot of rituals and meditation practices through the somatic uh, practices as well. So what are some examples, um, maybe in the first two levels, of practices that you feel like are really, um, I mean, they're all important, but, but some of the exercises that we did, like some examples of, mm -hmm. of what you created in order for us to... Yeah. 
I feel some are exercises are tools. Right. Yeah, like the body and the mind needs to integrate to understand what's happening. And the other category, I, I call it states. You know, like the state of yes and no. Am I in a state of a yes and no? Or a yes, or am I in a state of a no? Do I want to say yes, or do I want to say no? And this comes from a core integrity. How grounded am I to be able to say the yes from a ground place without losing myself to say yes? And how grounded am I saying no, not to be unrooted or uprooted? Um, another state, for example, leading and following. Or am I, am I more of a leader or more of a follower? And how does this apply in my everyday life? Do I lead predominantly in my relationship or do I follow? Can I find the balance? Uh, even if I have more inclination in one of the two, can I access the other one? Yeah, like as long as we can access different states, it's all fine. And we can stay in the one that we feel more comfortable. But the point is to know that we can access another state as well. So we bring this uh, somatic integration through, through the CBC. And another state is, for example, to invite and be invited. Because many people invite others in to co-create or to share or to do something, but they're not allowing themselves to be invited. So the energy is polarized in one direction only. So how can we allow ourselves to be invited as well? Yeah, I thought one of the most interesting ones for me was earthing through. I was level two. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned the level one. Oh, okay. Now. <laughs> we can talk about level two. <laughs> Should I mention level two now? Yeah, okay. Or you want to comment something on the level one? Um, no, let's keep going. <laughs> let's go on level two. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. I think through. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to comment or you want to comment? First, um, your experience. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I And I guess I was thinking about like when I first learned CI that I had this epiphany while moving, which was like, at first, I thought as we were doing some exercise that that what we were doing was such an amazing metaphor for life. And then at the same time, right after that, I thought, well, actually, like, life is more like metaphorically reflecting this. Like, exactly. this is what's happening. Um, and it's, yeah, it was amazing for me. I mean, all of these practices leading and following, but they're such in the reason I brought up earthing through is because I feel like in this practice where we want to go somewhere, do something, and we're asking the other person to invite us there. And yeah, like I, I know I've thought about this a lot, but to have it really boil down to the roots was, was really profound. Um, yeah, things that you don't necessarily think about very clearly and are so hard to describe in yeah. words, you know? Exactly. Um, I feel this is what uh, I could say I had a bit of an epiphany, perhaps, you know, or the wisdom or, I don't know, the aha moment of how I could make my personal life experiences and make them uh, so simple and so transmittable in tools and exercises and states in the CBC. And I think this is the um, graspability that people have um, out of the practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's something so simple but so profound in terms of the shift that happens in the whole body, mm -hmm. um, somatically. Yeah. 
and the earthing through as well very clearly comes from my life because I felt that I was inviting quite a bit of people into co-creating, creating creating, uh, in the relationships as well, love relationships. And I felt at some moment lack of of the feeling of being invited. And And then I said, like, how can I express that? How can I express it um, respecting the other person's opinions and where they are at, but also to make it clear that I want to be invited. And then as soon as they understand, what do they do with that? If they keep staying in their state of, no, I won't invite you, then do I want to stay with them? Do I want to continue this relationship? And do you feel like practicing these tools through our body, like, of course, it's not just helping us to see ourselves and our lives more clearly, but do you actually feel like going through the movements is helping something be processed and planned? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Everything is being held and stored in the body, whether we want or not. There are three stages that we can feel and sense that something changes in our aura or demeanor or uh, environment. Mm-hmm. And that is an energetic shift that can happen that is very subtle that we may not be able to feel it. The second one is emotional shift. Our emotions are being shifted through preferable or unpreferable emotions. Let's not go into details. And then the third state is the body changes through different injuries, illnesses, and discomforts, yeah. disease, for yeah. example. So I would say that the practice, as CBC practice, has a very, very clear uh, foundation in what happens to the body and the mind, yeah? the, the integration. Whatever is changing somatically, it really assists in emotional shift and energetic shift in our, in our life. So I'm going from the other way around because I know where they're coming from I'm going from the other way around to go and find the source in a sense yeah I was talking to a friend recently who has been like going around and around the same patterns in her life uh, as we all do pattern we all (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, but she was saying something like it's just been so nice even over the past two weeks I was like wow I feel like I can give such better advice or hold space so much better because I understand these things in an embodied energetic level but what she was saying was like it's so difficult to like I know I need to choose an, a different story like I know I need to go on a different path but it's so difficult for me to just say like okay I choose that now it's now I'm doing it, right? Yeah. Like, what is the process from going, like, if you're at a fork in the road from, like, going on the path you keep going yeah. on to the new one? And I thought of our practice and that one of the things that's so simple but, like, so profound is picking a point in the room to orient yourself towards, whether it's walking or moving your whole body, and actually just moving from where you are to that point. No matter if someone walks in front of you, no matter if you sort of explore on your way there, but you mm-hmm. get there. And when I was talking to her, I was like, well, I actually don't know if you need, it's not even so much about like choosing the other story so much as having the intention to do so. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't intend to go there, you'll never go there. Exactly, yeah. And it starts yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that, um, it came to me in the, through big questions in life, you know, like how can I create, for example, an art center? 
you know, like how can I create um, a festival? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if I don't intend it, how is it going to be created? Right. Yeah, and I intend it. Okay, then what is the first step to take? And the first step is towards creating my intention. Yeah. So then th- that was a clear. Simpl- simplicity that I brought in um, working in the space. If, if I cannot go from one from a point A to point B in a clear line, how am I going to go from point A where I am at at the moment to create an art center, point B? Yeah, yeah where's the first step? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and how I, I think I think the other thing too is like I know people who have a really difficult time fulfilling an intention, you know, or even developing the intention to begin with. Um, But that like this way of practicing this in our bodies, you know, like if we really can't walk from one place in a room to another place in the room, how are we like training our bodies to to do that? And And on that, because you mentioned before that we might have in our life, like a situation like a fork, you know, like you go right or left or you go what direction do you take in the end? If we are in a clear vector and we're going from A to B, and maybe this is a constructive beneficial vector, okay, then anything that is coming into our way, we're passing through and we are not persevering and we're not allowing any challenges or any obstacles to take us astray. Yeah. However, if we are in a clear vector from point A to B, from point A to B, and then this is not a constructive, it's not a beneficial path that we have taken in our life, but we are into a place to grow out of. Then other stimulus will come in our life for a new intention to be, uh, to be built. Yeah? We're having different stimulus, and then we're saying, like, are we going to keep this path that we have been stubbornly taking? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to take this other attention that comes in our life that maybe is more beneficial and constructive? Yeah? And then we're being questioned in this way. Yeah? And this is a difficult aspect. Do we let go what we have been creating to take another path? And this is in relationships as well. Yeah. You know, We're having a long-term relation that doesn't work anymore and becomes toxic. How can I let it go from a grounded perspective before it's too late as well to receive another relation that is much more beneficial and constructive in my life? Yeah, yeah and then it even, you know, aside from just like our own personal individual movement and then like the movement or progress that we make in relationships and then, you know, dancing with three people or dancing with a whole group. And I feel like that stuff starts to come in even more because you're presented with 12 different options and people pulling you in all different directions and to really like be tuned in and intuitive in the moment to decide like, am I going to stay here and say no? Am I going to fulfill my intention? I'm going to let someone else invite me elsewhere. And yeah. Um, and then there would be challenges there, you know, like something that I uh, figured out that 
we are in our vector, and then we're having the duets and the trios and the community, a big group of co-creating together. Am I getting lost in the relationship or in the trio or in the group? Can I find myself within the collective? Can I let go of the collective and detach myself from the collective to understand who I am, where I'm at, to know if I want to go back into the collective or not? Or in the relationship, if it's two people or three people or you name it. Yeah, and this is the challenge. Yeah, because we feel comfortable in the collective, we feel comfortable in a new relationship, we feel comfortable in something that has been um, been generated for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then it's our challenge to um, receive another person in our life and then choose. Yeah. It's a choice, I would say. So, what, how do you see this? community of yours growing into well community. i don't know if i want to call it a community but it's a good <laughs> right, word right. to be honest <laughs> right we just talked about it yeah <laughs> not a <forgot> already <laughs> <laughs> i don't know community is an amazing word you yeah. know? like it comes from com and unity yeah you know com is from latin with and con as well in spanish is with as well yeah, yeah. so it's with yeah. unity mm-hmm. you know a community is with unity and I really resonate with this word. But more often than not, communities become very restrictive yeah. systems yeah. of work. And I don't want that. You know, like I want this fluidity and this open-endedness of everything is possible and everything have, everybody has a say, in a sense, um, in what is being shared, constructed, created. Yeah. So... Let's put it in a bracket whether it's going to be a community or not, okay. and see in the future whether this, it's going to be created by itself or not. Yeah. But what I have to say is like um, a mode of practice at CBC that now is spreading around the world, and I create more facilitators and teachers soon because I start the levels three and four as well, people who will be able to teach the level one eventually. Um, who will spread this practice for personal development, relationship development, community development, and how all this is related to the environment or nature. I am seeing, I'm envisioning a a better relationship with ourselves, a better relationship with others. Mm. And that's the core intention that I have from this uh, practice to share it and transmit it. So where can people learn more? Um, I, I keep having new courses because people keep asking me at <laughs> yeah. the moment. So I have another one, the last one for this year in Costa Rica, end of the year in December. But I think the best would be to check um, website or Instagram. Website is education.unityspace.org and Instagram is unityspace, uh, unity underscore space. Um, and then I post everything there. Um, and then um, people can email through the contact they will find and I will add them in the emailing list I will send them more information yeah I feel very like selfishly motivated now to get as many people in my in parentheses community (laughs) to sign up for CBC because I feel like it's been so nice over the past couple weeks to be around people where these practices and just like movement and dance in general is so like accessible and mm. there all the time like I'm 
I feel like I have to go back and like teach all of my friends these things because mm -hmm. it feels so good to be connected totally. to each other yeah. in that and, way. And I have to say you should go back yeah. because you have been very, very good in both of the levels and you have developed so, so well, you know, and you have the skills and the capability to hold space and transmit the practice. Yeah. So I hope people will get inspired by you. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Thanks for doing this with me. I'm very glad too. Hello again. Thank you for listening to that conversation with Van. If you are interested in CBC, send me a note, send Van a note, um, education.unityspace.org. You can also email cbc at unityspace.org. If you're interested, make sure that you give them that CBC underscore Anya code um, at no extra cost to you. Uh, but if you heard about the program through me, I get a little bit of a kickback, which is really awesome and you will too if you recommend if you take the course and recommend it to others and share it with the world um again if you want to join the community get um emailed every time i put out a new episode a piece of writing you can do that on substack the link is anya kotz a-n-y-a-k-a-a dot substack.com it's free to sign up you can donate if you want if you have the means if you find this content valuable it's a five dollar a month subscription and uh, this is really the only income that I make on the podcast is through audience donations. So if you find this work valuable, if you've been listening to it for a while and it's helped you in your life, considering consider making a financial donation, but it is not required. You can get access to all the things for free at Substack. And I think that's it for today. I'm going to play you out with a song called De Yeshua Ala Kieka Kiaka Kiaka. De Yeshua Ala Kiaka, um, which I think are the names of two different places. Anyway, I heard a, a remix of this song. I put it on a playlist that I have available on Spotify. Um, lots of playlists, by the way, available on Spotify. Uh, if you would like to tune into those, I have a playlist of all the songs I've ever played on the podcast, um, and I release playlists periodically for Substack subscribers. Um, but if you search my name, Anya Kotz, on Spotify, you'll find them all. But I put this on a playlist... Uh, called I think it was moving you moving me uh which is a playlist of music that I was moving dancing to uh and it was a remix of the song and then I was in the van with Chris the other day and um I guess the original version of this song came up on his playlist and I was like oh shit I recognize this um and it's really beautiful and is also really awesome to move to so again I'm gonna recommend that you move if you have the means to do that as you're listening right now. And I like saying moving because I know dance can be intimidating for people. Like you don't need to know how to dance in order to move. You don't really know, need to know how to dance in order to dance, but um, just move, just move your body to the music. It doesn't even have to be music, just move your body in general. Um, I think this is such an important thing for us to do that's become weird and taboo and um, only people, you know, we think that only people with like professional dance training um, or who have danced their whole life or can, who can really hold a beat uh, are worthy of dancing and moving and that's just not the case. So uh, that's also something I've really loved about this practice is you can do it without any dance training and in fact a lack of dance training um, might make it even easier for you because you're not sort of limited by the, the confines of what you've learned as far as um, system and theory and um, the sort of rigidity that can sometimes accompany dance. So 
enjoy this song, sending my love to you all. Looking forward to connecting with you either online or in person soon. And I'll catch you next time. Bye.